Matthew chapter 25, and we'll read the first uh, 13 verses. Once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, his holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for the truth of your word. We thank you that your word is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this passage this morning, we rejoice and give thanks, Father, that you have promised that your spirit would accompany your word as it goes forth. And we do pray that your spirit would be going forth with your word, and that as it does, that it would find within our own hearts that rich, fertile soil that will bring about a great and abundant fruit for Your glory. And so we pray, Lord, that You would so bless Your Word to us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good things will come to those who wait. Is that true? If someone is patient and waits a long time, will good things always come to them? Now, I know many children have been waiting all year, perhaps for a particular gift. Did you receive that gift? Maybe you did. But it's possible for some reason you didn't receive what you wanted and what you waited for so long. In our passage this morning, Jesus teaches a parable which reminds us that especially when it comes to His second coming, patience and waiting can actually be in vain if you are not prepared. 
Jesus in this parable is continuing his response to the question of the disciples back in chapter 24, verse 3, where they say, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And of course, his response, which come to be known as the Olivet Discourse, in which Jesus teaches specifically about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. and His coming in power and in glory at the end of the age. Well, throughout this discourse, Jesus has sought to emphasize three things. That the Son of Man will come again, as evidenced by various signs. And secondly, that the coming of the Son of Man and thus the kingdom of heaven is at a time that he has not been that has not been revealed to man. And thirdly, that you ought to be prepared for his arrival by keeping watch and seeking to live faithfully as he's called you to live. Now, as we've noted before, Christians in every age as they have waited for the return of Christ, have many have thought themselves to be on the threshold of Christ's return. And, and in fact, many even have tried to predict when he's, His coming would be. And of course, it hasn't come. It hasn't happened. Generations of believers have gone to meet Jesus through their death. But He has not yet returned to earth. Now it's our time to wait in faith and hope. And as things seemingly grow worse in our own society and our culture around us and throughout the world, we know that that waiting becomes difficult. And we may wonder, maybe His coming is soon. And of course, some even foolishly, again, even in our own time, try to predict His coming. But just as no one knows the appointed time of their own end, so neither no one knows the day or the hour of the coming of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of Matthew 24 and now in chapter 5, 25, Jesus begins to move away from the signs of the times and questions about timing, and He focuses on preparation and readiness. Preparation and readiness as we wait for Him. In this parable of the ten virgins, Jesus seeks to comfort His people, to be vigilant and unwavering as they wait upon Him, even as He warns others of the dangers of being unprepared. Jesus begins in verse 1, saying, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Remember that parables are earthly illustrations that point to spiritual truth. And though there are parables that touch on many spiritual truths, most of them, including this one, are kingdom parables. That is, they reveal a certain truth or reality in the kingdom of God, either describing the present time in our lives here on earth, or the kingdom of God in its fullness when it comes at the end of the age. And Jesus compares the kingdom of God here to ten virgins who are part of a wedding party. 
The practice in the ancient Near East seems to have been that on the eve of the wedding, the bridesmaids would wait for the arrival of the bridegroom, either at his home or at the bride's home, uh, where the, the, uh, the bridegroom would come and, and uh, the bride is waiting inside. And when it was announced that the bridegroom was coming, the maidens would go out to meet him and join in the slow procession into the wedding feast. And of course, those wedding feasts often lasted several days. Well, the context of, of a wedding and of a wedding feast is an important image that is used in the scriptures to speak of God's relationship to his people, and especially in anticipation to the ushering in of the kingdom of God in all its fullness when Christ Jesus returns. Consider this, these examples. Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 22, Jesus gave the parable of the wedding feast in connection with the, the call of the Gospel that he would send out his prophets and uh, his apostles to uh, proclaim the Gospel. And first they went to the Jews. But they not only rejected it, but they even killed the messengers that were sent with the invitation, ultimately including the Son of God Himself. Well, after judging these wicked ones, the king would then, in that parable, send out his invitation to those in the highways and the byways. And this referred to the call then going to the Gentiles who came in and who filled the banquet hall. But then the parable concluded with a stern warning for the one who had responded to that invitation, but when he came in, he wasn't dressed appropriately. That is, he wasn't truly covered in the righteous robes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he was cast out. The parable of Matthew 22 is similar to the one here in Matthew 25 in that it warns against those who come unprepared. Another example which uses the imagery of wedding and marriage to speak of God's relationship to his people is from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. In context, Paul is giving instruction about the roles and responsibilities of marriage. And he, he points the husband and the wife to Christ's relationship to the church as an example to be imitated. The wives are being submissive to their husbands as the church is to be submissive to Christ. And the husbands <clears throat> are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, even giving his life for her. Well, then a final image is given by the Apostle John in Revelations, and specifically the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. There we read, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here we see that the church is the bride, and the Lamb, of course, is Jesus our Lord, who laid down his life for us, who washed us and cleansed us of our sin, and enables us to do good works so that we might be ready and prepared to be with him in glory, feasting at his table that he's prepared for us forever and ever. And so the wedding uh, marriage imagery is, is most fitting for Jesus to use here. 
But who's who in this current parable? Well, the bride is actually never mentioned. Usually the bride represents the church, but here it's the ten virgins, the bridesmaids, who represent the church. But as we'll see, they merely represent what we call the, the visible church. That is, uh, what, we can be, what can be seen on membership rolls or what can be seen uh, sitting in the pews. But he's not necessarily referring to, I mean, it does, the visible church includes the invisible church, but the invisible church is the true body of believers in Christ Jesus. And so the brides, uh, the, the, the ten virgins here, represents the visible church. That is, all those who claim the name of Christ, though some of those may not be true believers. And it's these who have been called to be watchful and to wait for the return of Christ. Christ calls His church, the visible church, to wait and to watch and to look for His return. So that's who the ten virgins represent. Well, the bridegroom we can clearly identify as the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He is the one who will come to claim His bride. The Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, declared, And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. What a blessing that the Lord rejoices over you, over the church. And the Lord Jesus truly does rejoice over His church. He, did, he rejoiced uh, so much and He delighted so much in the church that He came in, in the flesh to dwell among us. To be tempted and tried in all ways that we are yet without sin. To identify with us in our sin and our misery. He perfectly kept the law of God for her. And then gave His life so that she might be washed and cleansed from her sin. Then on the third day, He rose again so that her salvation could be secured. And even now, He reigns over all things in heaven and on earth for her blessing and benefit until He returns again on the last great day to claim her. And so the bridegroom is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the intermittent time, the time of waiting between His ascension to the right hand of God the Father and the time between that and and His second coming is the time that we now find ourselves, even as the parable implies, that the bridegroom is away, but He is coming back. As we mentioned, since the bride doesn't appear in the parable, the church is represented by the ten virgins, the bridesmaids, again entrusted with the duty of greeting the bridegroom and accompanying him to the bride. They were to wait until the bridegroom arrived, and then they were to go and to run out to meet him. Indeed, this is the expectation, of, again, of the visible church. We're to wait patiently and eagerly for the return of Christ and to be ready to meet him when he comes. But as we see, Jesus divides these bridesmaids into two two groups. Verse 2, five of them were wise, but five were foolish. 
The foolish virgins he describes first. In verse 3, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. They're foolish because they're unprepared. They don't know when the bridegroom is going to return. And in case he arrives at night, they are prepared in one way. They have lamps. But their lamps had no oil. Or maybe they had oil, but they didn't have enough to last the whole night. Either way, they weren't prepared. They were only focused on the present. They had no forethought or wisdom to plan for the unexpected. And guess what? The unexpected happened, and they had to wait a long time. These foolish virgins represent those in the church who though they may outwardly profess faith in Christ and even actively participate in the life and the ministry of the church, yet they're totally unprepared for Christ's return. And we might even add, totally unprepared for their own deaths. They're distracted by earthly cares and concerns and have taken their eyes off Christ and the eternal heavenly reward that awaits. And as we'll see, not only do they not truly know the Lord, but He doesn't know them. They're fools. Because they've been told time and time again that Christ is coming. And yet they've not lived their lives in anticipation of His return. Well, Jesus describes then the five wise virgins in verse 4. The wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So these were wise because they were prepared. Not only having their lamps filled, but carrying along in case uh, extra. Uh, They carried along extra in case there was this delay in the bridegroom's returning. And of course there was. They didn't know necessarily that there was going to be delay, but... They were prepared for any situation. They were diligent. Well, this describes the true believers in the church. Those who've been graciously given true wisdom, even as their hearts, like the lamps, were filled to abundance with love and devotion to the Lord. Mindful of the things of the Lord. Seeking to serve Him and glorify Him in all things as they wait patiently anxiously for his return. And so this parable, though, again, focused on the idea of being ready and prepared for the return of Christ, again, shows us the reality of a division in the visible church. There are those in the church who are true, sincere believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are wise in regards to spiritual truth. And yet at the same time, There are fools who, though they outwardly profess faith, don't truly believe because ultimately their hearts are set on the things of this life and they give no regard to God and His law, His warnings, or even His promises. It's important that we remember this. Not so that we can then suspiciously look around at one another and scrutinize our lives to discover who's wise and who's foolish. No. 
but so that we can examine our own hearts to be sure that we're not the ones living as foolish hypocrites. All these virgins, the fools and the wise, the visible church knows that the bridegroom is coming. They've been told. And they all must wait. They all must keep watch. But again, not all of them are prepared. Especially as we see next in the, <clears throat> in the parable that the bridegroom is delayed in his coming. And we're not told the reason of the delay, but simply that he was delayed. Now as we consider this in the context of Jesus' return at the end of the age, we're faced with the challenge of, kind of a, the difference in time perspective between God the Creator and mankind the creature. And this comes out when we understand that ultimately this parable is given not only for the comfort of Jesus' disciples, but also for his followers in every age, even today. We know that with God, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. But for us, a day is a day, and a thousand years is a thousand years. Mankind in general, and the people of God in particular, have had to deal with this challenge in time perspective since the beginning. Shortly after the fall, God gave Adam and Eve a gospel promise in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would rise up and crush the head of the serpent. And and as soon as um, Cain was born, he thought, well, here it is. Here he is. The fulfillment of the promise. But no, it wasn't Cain. In a sense, it wasn't even Abel. It wasn't Seth. It wasn't until four thousand, almost, or at least 4,000 years later that this promise was fulfilled in the coming of the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. 4,000 years is a long time to wait. Now, of course, after Jesus promised that he would return again in power and glory, the church waited. Some thought it was going to be he'd come back in 70 AD, but he didn't. Some thought, we went through this several weeks ago, all the different times when, when it was predicted that Jesus would return, and they all failed. All those predictions failed. We're still waiting. It's been 2,000 years. And we still wait for the glorious day to come. And waiting is hard. And it can be tempting for us to slack off and to not be vigilant. But Jesus calls us to be watchful and alert. And He especially calls us to be ready. Now you mustn't think that Jesus has misled us or is just late in coming. No, just as Jesus came in the fullness of time in His first coming, so He'll come at the appointed time of His second coming. Again, this is what makes date setting so fruitless. There is an appointed time, but it has not been revealed to us. Now note in the parable that during this delay of the bridegroom, 
all ten virgins slumbered and slept. In verse 5, and the commentators are divided over what we should understand by this, whether it's a, a reference to death overtaking those who, who wait, or whether it's a, a spiritual stupor or, or cloud that comes over the church and hinders their vigilance. Well, it's here that we must remember that with parables, not every detail has an application or an explanation. In the context of the parable, it could simply be that the virgins, having waited a long time, were, they just got tired. It's part of their humanity. We know that even the disciples could not keep watch for an hour while Christ went out to pray on the eve of his death. And so while there may be doubt cast here upon their watchfulness, it's their readiness at the appointed time that's being emphasized. And for us, the encouragement should be that despite the temptation to lose focus, we should still remain vigilant and we should still always be ready. We should always be ready because Jesus Christ is coming again. Even as the bridegroom in the parable eventually comes. And as he does, a, a cry goes up at midnight, waking up the entire wedding party. And the bridesmaids, uh, they, they get up and they go out to meet him as was their duty and they prepare, they, uh, they arose, they trim their lamps. That is, they cut the wicks in order to get the lamps shining bright. But as they're doing this, the foolish virgins make a shocking discovery. They go to light their lamps and almost immediately the lamps begin to go out. They don't have enough oil. It was either used up while they slept or they hadn't brought any at all. They were unprepared at this most critical time. Well, what to do? In verse 8, they asked the wise virgins who had extra oil, they said, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. Now that seems like a reasonable request. If someone lacks something, those who have plenty can share with them. Indeed, it's a good thing to do. Which makes the response of the wise virgins seem kind of cold and harsh. They say, no, if we give you some of ours, well, then we may not have enough for ourselves, so hurry and, and go buy some for yourself. Of course, where are they going to find some? At midnight, well, that's a little different detail there. It does appear that they did find something. But in light of the context of the parable, all ten virgins were given ample time to get what they needed. And so when the critical time comes, should the wise then be faulted for the foolishness of the foolish? Well, certainly not. Besides, their wisdom told them that if they gave some of their oil to the foolish virgins, well then, there wouldn't be enough to get them back to the house. That is, see, they still had to go out to meet the bridegroom, and they heard that he was coming, he was on the road, but they didn't know how far it was going to take to get to him. <clears throat> But they needed to make sure they had enough oil to have the lamps lit on the way there and to get back. Otherwise, if they shared some of that oil, well, the oil might have been all used up when they got there, when they met the bridegroom, and then they would all end up in the dark. So they couldn't share. It would actually be unwise and not very prudent for them to share. <coughs> 
but also there's a sense that they weren't going to aid in the foolishness of their peers. There was plenty of time, again, to prepare and to check to make sure that they had enough oil for the night. And again, they can't be held responsible for the foolish actions of the others. Now, we shouldn't take this to mean that we don't have to help people in need, even if they're in need because of foolishness. Now, the point of the parable isn't about helping people. It's about being ready for the return of Christ. And as you live your lives and serve in the church, even helping and assisting others and encouraging them in their growth and grace, knowledge, and understanding, you have to realize that there's only so much that you can do. You can give warnings to people, you can teach them, you can instruct them, but you can't live out faith for someone else. You can't make preparations, spiritual preparations, heart preparations for someone else. As much as you may desire, you can't transfer your faith to someone else or do for them what they must do. Live in obedience to Christ and His commands. We can do that for ourselves. We can't do it for someone else. And this is particularly challenging when you see someone, even someone in the church, making foolish decisions. And time and time again, no matter how much you warn them and point them in the right direction and teach them, instruct them, and and give them all the the skills and and things that they would need to, to go in the right direction, but they don't. You can't do it for them. They must learn to heed God's word on their own and obey, relying daily upon His grace to strengthen them. We can barely do it for ourselves, relying on the grace of God. That's the only way we can do it. We can't be a Christian for someone else. And so truly, if they've heard the gospel, then they are without excuse. And fools will sadly be fools. And they will be unprepared. So the fools in this parable go search for more oil. Meanwhile, those who were ready, the wise virgins, they meet the bridegroom and join the procession and and went in to join in the wedding feast and the celebration. What a joyous time to look forward to when Christ returns and being joined together with Him and, and then sitting at that marriage supper of the Lamb that John uh, speaks of in the book of Revelation. Being there in the glorious presence of our great God and Savior forever and ever and ever, enjoying all the great abundant blessings that He has in store for us. That what we have now is only a foretaste of those perfect blessings to come. But I want you to note the very significant action at the end of verse 10. And the door was shut. The door to the wedding banquet was shut. At this point, the the parable begins to fade and the, the lesson comes into focus. 
Back in chapter 24, verse 37, Jesus used the days of Noah as an example of the suddenness of coming judgment. Here, he may be thinking of the same incident as the shut door echoes the finality of the time of judgment when the flood came. In Genesis 7.16, we read that the Lord shut them in. That is, He shut the door of the ark. Once the door was shut, no one entered the ark, and no one left the ark. This is a stern warning. As the door is shut in this parable... What's going to be the result when the foolish versions return? <coughs> Simply put it, it'll be too late. Indeed, this is a reminder to us that, that there will come a time when it will be too late to enter into the kingdom of God. A time when it will be too late to repent of sins and trust in Christ. And whether that time is too late due to one's sudden death or as the parable infers too late at the time of Christ's return when the door of the kingdom will be shut forever. The plea of the fools in verse 11 is, Lord, Lord, open to us. And the response in verse 12, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. These are similar to the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 7. And he said, many will say to me in that day, that is the day of his uh, coming, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Have we not been members of a church somewhere? Have we not called ourselves Christians? Again, speaking of those who actually have a part in the visible church. But Jesus' response to them is this, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now note in both instances, that is Matthew 7 and then here in this parable, not only are they denied entrance, but the bridegroom himself denies them. He says he never knew them. Though they professed to serve him, their hearts weren't, their hearts weren't true and sin- sincere. They didn't really know him because he didn't know them as his own beloved. Brothers and sisters, it will be a most terrible thing indeed to not be known by Jesus and to be denied by him on that last great day when the door is shut. A challenge to us that today, this very day, is the day of salvation. And though it's true that at the very last hour, the Lord may be most gracious, whether it's the last hour of your life or the last hour before He returns, You ought not to foolishly put God to the test and put off humbling yourself before Him and serving Him wholeheartedly. Today is the day of salvation. The challenge then is to watch and be prepared as Jesus now concludes the parable with the lesson in verse 13. You know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. 
And the implication being that you ought always to be ready and prepared. Don't be distracted by the things of this world. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Seeking to live for Him and serve Him as you wait patiently for His return. For the truth of the matter for us is this. Jesus Christ is coming again. This is true. Just as His word is truth. Beloved of God, are you keeping watch? Are you ready? You don't know when He's going to come or when He's going to take you from this life. But those times are coming. Are you prepared? Truly, if you are in Him, He'll give you the sufficient grace necessary to bide the time, even in the midst of challenge and difficulty. However, if you're not truly living in Him, if you profess with your mouth and yet do not believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, if you're not prepared for His coming or your own end, then again I say to you, today is the day of salvation. For the door may soon be shut on your life or as Christ Jesus returns. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will not be disappointed, not now in this life and most certainly not on that last great day when Jesus returns to the glory of God alone. Be ready and keep watch. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for your truth and for your word and for the reminder that we have to be watchful, to be ready, to be prepared, either for our own death or for your return. We pray that you would give us grace and strength each day. We know it's hard waiting. We are just weak creatures. And so we need your daily grace and strength to help us endure the various challenges and trials in this life, the discouragements that we face as we wait for you, even as we see, even in our own time, things just seeming to get worse and worse. Surely we're near to the end. That may be. Maybe there's more yet to come. But Lord, we pray that you would give us your grace to help us to endure but not just to endure, but to be faithful, to be ready, to be doing what you have called us to do, to be living for your glory, to be serving in your name, and to be declaring your gospel so that that gospel can go forth and be heard by others before that door is shut. And so we ask, Lord, that you would truly be with us in this and bless us. And especially that your spirit would now apply these truths to our own hearts. Reminding us again that today is the day of salvation. That we ought not to put off our commitment to you and our turning to you in faith. Today is the day. 
the day of salvation that you have secured for us because of what Jesus has done. And so we praise you and thank you for these things. And we ask for your blessing upon us to strengthen us. We pray that we might do all these things for your glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.